What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I'm your host, Gavin Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously in your mind and in the mind of everyone else in the real estate and property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset and behavior, to get control of your thought process, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. Last week, I talked about finding property investments uh, opportunities, the kind of deals to look for, all of that kind of stuff. And in this week, we are in episode 11. I'm going to be talking about how to go about raising money from banks and investors. Before we do, I'm going to give you a couple of updates. And um, first of all, update relating to the podcast, which is great. It's um, I was I, I, I look at this uh, this um, online resource called Chartable, and it tracks uh, podcast performance. And I discovered that. Um, my podcast hit number three in the business category on um, Saturday and Sunday last. And so number three in all of the business categories is pretty good because the names uh, in that are normally like Tim Ferriss, Gary Vaynerchuk, How I Built This and uh, Jocko Podcast. So to be in amongst those groups um, and it was only for Saturday and Sunday and then I dropped off again. So uh, it's pretty positive. So I'm, I'm kind of pleased how things are going. So, and that's without any launch or any kind of a drive. And so uh, it's all been organic. So uh, thanks to you guys who are uh, listening in or watching um, for helping me drive that. And uh, to continue, it's really kind of pushed me or kind of encouraged me to continue with this podcast and with all of this stuff. Um, because I can see that it's starting to get through, getting a lot of positive feedback. And so if you guys would or are finding this useful and want me to kind of continue delivering I would be grateful if you might consider putting a review or uh, or a rating on the podcast on whatever platform you're listening in on. And that way we pop up on the algorithm and we'll make sure that we're being taken notice and uh, we get more followers and, and, and so on and so on. And I'm actually planning on doing a monthly giveaway as a thank you to those of you who actually go to the trouble of doing that. So the monthly giveaway is going to be um, an option of either... Uh, a set of Apple AirPods, um, or you can have an hour's uh, personal mentoring with myself, uh, one-to-one. Um, it's your choice. So I'm going to, uh, anyone who leaves a, a good review or a, uh, a rating or whatever on the iTunes or wherever it is that you listen to them, I'll find that and I'll add you into kind of a, a draw. And the person who is... Um, who's lucky enough to get pulled out of that draw will get either uh, an hour one-to-one personal mentoring with me or a set of Apple AirPods so you can listen to the podcast in your own good time. Right, over to the Behind the Facade community, our Facebook group, uh, which I'm live streaming to now. There are now 119 members in that. And uh, for anyone who's watching um, who's not a member, I would strongly suggest that you find that group and join up if you find any of this kind of stuff useful. It's uh, with 119 members, it's still pretty small and it's good because I am getting uh, back to everybody who asks a question in that group. It can be difficult if you're sending me messages on all these other forms of, um, I mean, I'm getting messages, I'm getting personal messages coming in on Instagram, Twitter, I'm getting them in on Facebook Messenger, I'm getting them in on um, uh, 
like all these different ways. And the problem with that is that I'm getting a barrage of comments from every angle. And if it comes in on the Facebook group, they're collated in one area and I can go and answer them pretty easily rather than trying to look back and on my phone and figure out where I'm going to, uh, who asked what and this kind of thing. So if you want to do that, uh, I would be very grateful to have you guys on board and um, I respond to every question in there. So it's, it's a guaranteed way of getting a response from me. Also, please note, I've now got a new email established for the podcast. So the podcast is now, the email for the podcast is now podcast at behindthefacade.fm. So if you want to um, reach out with a question to actually be covered on the podcast itself, the best thing to do is actually send me an email to that address and to put a um, voice recording or like a voice memo from your phone and actually email that to me and I will insert that into the podcast and I'll answer the question and uh, that way you appear on the actual podcast. So I'm going to be doing that fairly soon. I'm going to be adding a section called office hours or, or some questions and answers or whatever. So the next thing I want to talk about is the... Um, the feedback. A lot of you guys have been writing to me, asking me questions and all that kind of stuff. And it's it's great. I really am enjoying it. And as I mentioned, I'm going to be doing a uh, an email list. A lot of you guys have signed up to it already, but I'm going to be sending out a weekly email with some exclusive content and also with invitations to appear on Zoom calls uh, with me in order to do sort of special coaching and stuff. So if you guys are interested in appearing uh, in, in participating in some of those private Zoom calls and some of that private resource, then please sign up to the email list. And the best way to find that is go to my website, gavinjgallaher.com forward slash go. Next thing uh, is... Yeah, just thanks for the for the feedback. It is great. I, I mean, some people are not asking questions. They're just simply saying that the that the that the podcast has helped them, and um, it's really encouraging for me to get that kind of thing. And hi to those of you who are watching live and are sending me messages. It's it's great to see you guys on board. So coming up next, I'm going to be talking about raising money from banks and investors. And uh, so stay tuned. Now to the main event and. Um, uh, the last couple of episodes, I've been talking about identifying property deals, identifying real estate investment opportunities, how to find them, how to look for them, how to specialize in them. One of those areas that I've suggested is that um, something called domain expertise. And if you are somebody who jumps from one type of deal to another all the time, you never become particularly good at anything and you don't have all of the numbers sort of straight off at the top of your head. And that is something that is a weakness. If you're, if you're all the time doing, say, residential, or if you're all the time doing retail, you start to become extremely knowledgeable in that one particular niche. And it mean, makes you far more confident talking to banks and investors that, you know, you've done X number of deals in this sector. Whereas if it's, if, if it's your first time doing a certain deal, everyone's a little bit nervous about that, including yourself. And so that's one of the reasons why I think it's probably a good idea to try and figure out what area suits you, suits the knowledge you have, the background you have, the maybe the qualifications you have, the network, whatever it is, there's all sorts of reasons why a certain type of deal might suit you. Maybe you're um, a, a, a kind of a handy person with your hands and you can actually refurbish a house by yourself. You don't need to hire people. That's, you know, pointing you in one direction. 
if you happen to be somebody who's like kind of got a legal background or professional background, maybe you want to go and do something where you're in the fundraising side and you're going and talking to investors because you kind of know that business inside out. So specialism is pretty good idea um, in terms of giving confidence to the people you're trying to raise money from. I also spoke about analyzing the deal and uh, the means of assessing it. Today, I'm going to drill into that in a little bit more detail um, because before you go and meet a bank or investor, you have to convince yourself that the deal makes sense for you to be risking your own capital. Um, it requires rigorous analysis. You, I mean, if you go and pile into a deal that is not uh, that you haven't checked, you could lose your shirt on it. You could, well, first of all, you'll lose everything that you saved up for, uh, but you can also end up with a bank loan and a bank going after you to try to get that back. And so they can actually extract more than you actually have and cause you to go bankrupt and whatever. So this requires a lot of analysis at the very outset before you go and even think about approaching an, an investor or a bank. Uh, because if you can't convince yourself, then how are you going to convince a bank or an investor? Um, so getting into all of that, I mean, there's a thing called ROI and IRR, and you know, some of you guys are far more experienced than others, so you'll understand immediately what those mean. But ROI is return on investment, IRR is internal rate of return, and those are that that's terminology that will come up when in a conversation with investors and with banks. And so it's something that you should probably get familiar with. You should look it up and uh, try. You know, there's loads of online resources that you can kind of figure out a lot of this stuff. You don't need me to explain it. Um, but backtracking to last week, we talked about the different types of deals. You've got residential, whether you've got flipping or whether you've got B or or or, that's buy, uh, refurbish, rent, and refinance. Then you've got commercial, whether that's office, retail, warehouse, whatever it is. You've got conversions from resi to commercial or commercial to resi, and you've got land deals. So those are the different types of deals. It doesn't really matter. Banks have different ways of looking at each one, and they also have investors also have different ways of looking at them. And the rates of return for each one are better insofar as, I mean, if you go and do a land development deal, you can kind of double or triple your money. Whereas if you do a residential deal, maybe you'll make 30% of the money that you put in. So there's different ways of looking at it, but then there's also additional risk with each of those. So it's one thing to want the big money, but it's another thing whether you're prepared to put the big risk into doing that. So this is all part of your own mindset as well. You've got to figure out what type of investor are you? Are you a passive? Are you active? Are you a person who can tolerate a certain amount of risk? Um, more importantly, do you have the capital to put into it? And are you going to be going out to investors who tolerate risk? Uh, because I've found in the past that investors, there can be very aggressive investors that are looking for huge returns and, uh, you know, like 25% on their money. And uh, But it can be quite hard to find a deal like that unless you're in a distressed market. If you're at the top of the market, then deals like that are very, very hard to come by. And the only way you can make deals like that work is if you start stretching your deal and not really stress testing it. And you start thinking, well, you know, if this happens and that happens, then the deal will be worth a lot more than it than is actually realistic. So you got to be careful that you're not prom over promising because you'll end up under delivering and you'll end up getting um, smacked around by investors. They won't be happy about it. Analyzing the deal as a means, uh, so as a means of assessing it, we're going to drill into it. Before you go to a bank, convince yourself. That's the first point to make. Um, 
When you're starting with an analysis, you start with a thesis. And by that, I mean sort of you have to have some sort of an economic story or rationale around why you believe you should be going into a certain sector. So if you decide that you want to go after residential property and you, you need to have a reason why you're doing that, it's not just, well, it's all I know. It's got to be, well, I think there's a supply and demand issue. I think there's not enough houses out there. There's a huge amount of demand. And therefore, I do think prices are going to go up. That's your thesis. OK, so that's what you're going to be selling as the reason for going into the market. Even if the market ha suffers a downturn, you might believe that it can continue to weather the storm because there's supply and demand issues. Now, there might be other reasons that you are going into it. Your thesis might be that you've got a unique network, that you have special knowledge, that you have special skills, that you are from that local area and you know all of the neighbours that are involved and so you can put this deal together better than anyone else. There's all sorts of reasons, but you've got to have clear in your mind what those reasons are because that stacks up as a reason why they, you are the best person to do this deal and not somebody else. A lot of the time, if you're just buying any property in an auction or something like that, it's not that exciting for an investor to get into you know, bed with you in that kind of a deal because they can just go and buy the property themselves. What extra value are you adding? So that's something to bear in mind in your whole rationale and that they, your thesis at the outset. Once you've got that established, the next thing you gotta do is start stress testing your deal. So assuming you found your deal, you have it and it matches your criteria and your thesis, you gotta start saying, okay, the deal is this. Uh, you know, I'm gonna spend this much of money and I'm gonna end up selling it for this. What, however, what if the market falls? What if the market softens? What if I don't find a tenant that quickly? What if it takes longer? You gotta go and add in a number of risks and just stress test your deal and make sure that you're not in a situation where you're kind of hopeful, but you haven't actually stress tested it. Because like the three E's I talk about in real estate are, e you know, the economy is number one. And that's one of the first things that can actually stress your deal. You have a softening of the market and suddenly you're sitting there. Now, the emotion and the and the ego, they're the other side, but we talked about them at the very beginning of, all, of this series of talks. And I was really talking about, that's the inner game that's kind of going on. You gotta make sure that when you're involved in a deal, that you, don't, you haven't fallen in love with the deal and you're not allowing your ego to get involved in any kind of decision-making. Remember the five investment risks that are out there in investment. There's market risk, there's financial risk, there's tenant risk, there's vacancy risk, and there's location risk. I already talked about them, I think it was probably in episode eight, so I'm not gonna go over it now, but just bear in mind those things. And also then you've got your three additional development risks. If you go and do a development deal, then there's three additionals that on top of those five I've already mentioned, you've got the construction, risk, you've got timing risk, and you've got planning or zoning risk. So all of that is important to just, you know, remember that and then bring it into your analysis of your deal. And just when you're in the process of thinking about whether this deal is st fully stress tested, go through each of those and see, is there a risk? Is there a risk that one of those risks comes along and bites you? So that's an important one. Then assess your thesis against those the next thing that you got to do is look for the deal that actually um, fits that thesis. Then you got to go and analyze. And um, that is easier said than done because there's a whole lot of information you have to get. But in simple terms, what you do is you take, say, a sheet of paper or a spreadsheet on the computer 
and you go through, first of all, your purchase price and the purchase costs. So say you're looking at a piece of property and it's 100,000 and you say, right, I want to buy that. The property is not going to cost you just 100,000. You got to go and pay for a solicitor. You got to go and pay for stamp duty. You got it. You maybe are going to have all sorts of checks and stuff like that. You might have to bring a professional guy in like an architect to do an assessment on the property. So your all in costs are usually going to be maybe 10 percent but you should do your own review of what your local costs are. And you can talk to an estate agent about what typical costs are. Um, I've always worked on the basis of about 11%. And so if I'm buying a property for 100,000, it's gonna be about 111,000 that I'm actually gonna end up spending. Um, next, professional costs. And we just mentioned the architect. You've got an architect, you've got a lawyer, you've got possibly an accountant. If you're getting into development, you're really getting into much more expensive professional costs because you've got maybe a quantity surveyor, you've got a structural engineer, you've got an electrical and mechanical engineer, you have civil works, possibly engineer for your roads and all that kind of stuff. So there's um, there's a whole lot. And then if you're buying an old house, sometimes you've got to bring in a um, heritage person who will do an assessment on the house. And like here in Dublin, where I'm recording from, there's a lot of old Georgian houses that are about 150 years old. And they're in the best part of Dublin and a lot of the time. They're in beautiful areas. But if you touch that property, sometimes you need special permission even just to paint the walls. You need to go for planning permission to paint the walls because that property may be a heritage or a protected structure. Next thing you got to get into your refurb or your development costs. And this can be something that you do need a little bit of professional help with because if you're not familiar with it, then it can actually run away with you. You might think uh, probably five or 10 grand to do this job and it could turn into 25 to do the same amount of work. So it's always a good thing to bring in your professionals and do an assessment. So if you're doing a refurb of a house, you want to know if your electrical system is up to date. You want to know if your plumbing system is up to date. You're probably going to replace your kitchen. You need to know what your kitchens are going to cost. You're probably going to re you know, repaint the whole house. Maybe you're going to change the windows. There's all sorts of stuff there. You need to go and you need to figure out what all of that is going to cost you all in. And usually I add a contingency sum of, you know, say, 5% maybe 10%, depending on how uncertain or how certain you are. If you've done this six or seven times, then you can start to eliminate the contingency because you, you're pretty sure you know your stuff. But if you're doing it for the very first time, probably 10% is a good figure just in case you screw up and you forgot or something or you, you, know, you didn't realize it was going to cost so much. Next is finance costs. Now, I'm going to go into more detail in this a bit later because this is all part of, like, at this moment in time, we haven't even met a bank or an investor yet. We are still analyzing the deal for ourselves to whether to, to check whether or not we want to do this deal. I would add in, say, a couple of lines on finance costs. Usually what I would say, I would initially base my finance costs on, I would assume that I'm going to get maybe 60% of a loan from my bank. And after that, then I'm going to say, right, so 60% of the total value of the deal and that is going to go in and then you can work out what your interest rate and what your fees are going to be. Now, at this moment in time, this, these are assumptions. You don't yet know because you haven't met the bank, what, but you'll, you'll know from speaking to other people and agents and stuff, perhaps what roughly you should be expecting in terms of a percentage of loan to value and also in terms of the specific interest rate you'll be charged and things like that. 
So I'm going to go into a little bit more detail on that slightly further down. But that's just a little placemaker or placeholder. Next is your sales, letting or marketing costs. This all depends on whether or not you are going to be selling or keeping the property for yourself. If you are building a number of apartments, we'll say, then you're obviously going to be selling them off and you're going to be having selling costs because you're going to have to market the place. You're going to have to get brochures, agents. These agents don't work for free. You've got to pay agents. You're going to have solicitors that are selling each of those properties. You're going to have costs for that. You're going to have advertising costs in newspapers. You're going to have to have costs for that. Now, if you've decided that you're going to hold on to this property long term, then you're going to have renting costs, leasing costs, all of that. You're going to also need to market the property. Your sales letting marketing, that is something that can add up. So don't ever uh, eliminate that. Don't ever overestimate or underestimate uh, with your legal costs, with getting brochures designed, with all of these different things and then advertising, getting it out there so that people know that your property is available and then you find your tenant. And when you find your tenant, usually you have to pay an agent or something like that. All of those items, that's five items that I've mentioned. They go into one side of your page of paper or your spreadsheet, and that is your total development cost or your total project cost. Now you get to work out what the total value of your finished building is. And what you're going to do is you're going to take the work that you've done and you're going to know, OK, I'm going to have so many apartments or I'm going to have this brand new refurbished house. It's going to be lovely and shiny and clean and blah, blah, blah. Let's talk to agents, find out what the brokers say. Brokers might say all day long, if it's done to this standard, you will rent it for this price. And if you rent it for this price, then you can probably sell it for this price. Um, that all depends whether you want to buy or sell. Obviously, if you want to sell it, you need to know what the price of your exit is going to be. If you want to uh, hold on to it, then you just want to make sure that your interest rate is lower than the amount of income that you're going to be collecting on it. So that all feeds into your gross development value or gross project value. And um, so what goes into that, what, how you figure that out is usually how many apartments, how many square feet you're renting, whether it's shop, warehouse, all that kind of stuff. Um, you'll have a, a rent per square foot or per square meter. And that'll give you your total rent that you're going to collect on that building. And then from that, you need to make certain deductions, whether it's service charge, things like that. And then you multiply that by the figure, the multiplier. And I'll be going, I, I mentioned before that I'll be doing a workshop on yield and all of this kind of more detailed analysis. It's going to be a Zoom call and it's going to be, it's going to be much more, uh, it's not going to be a live, it's going to be a Zoom call that is, well, it's going to be a live Zoom call. It's not going to be open to everybody. It'll only be people who register through the, uh, through the email and uh, that are part of the Facebook group. But your yield gives you a year's purchase, which is basically a multiplier. And so you'll know that if you're collecting X amount per year, then you multiply that by 8, 10, whatever it is, whatever the multiplier is, and that gives you approximately what your price of your property is and then you have to net that back you have to deduct sell sales figures um like your solicitor's costs and your professional fees um your agent's fees i should say all of that goes in and then you end up with on one side your costs on the other side your net value that you have at the other end and that gives you your profit or your capital gain and now you can start to tweak it you can start to figure out okay what if sales are out by 10%. Um, what if the agent gets it wrong? And so you make these small tweaks and usually what I call that is stress testing. And by that, I mean, I'll go into the deal and I will say, okay, let's assume sales are not as good as we expect. So you're, you're going to have 
normal, you're going to have basically your, your optimistic sales figures, you're going to have your normal sales figures, and you're going to have your pessimistic sales figures. And always stress test those. You're, don't work on the pessimistic side exclusively, or you'll never do a deal. Don't work on the optimistic side of the deal always, or you'll end up overpaying for property. You got to look at the three, and you got to kind of figure out, okay, which one is most realistic, given the point in the market that we're in and all of that kind of stuff. What if the construction takes longer than you expected? What if you overrun on your construction? You know, all of these things are little things that can actually throw a hand grenade into your deal. So you need to just make sure that you've assessed them all. What if your um, what if your profit is not delivered to, at the level that you know? How does that look for your banking? All of this. Just so, just review your deal and just make sure that all of those things can be mitigated or you can certainly have an answer if you get asked those questions by banks. And this is why if somebody said, for example, if somebody said to me, what if construction figures fall? I would turn around and say, well, we've built in or what if what if your construction is too high? I would say, well, we've built in a contingency figure there. And if they say, what about your finance costs? What if they, you know, overrun or whatever? Then you could say, well, we've built in a contingency there. You've always got you know, an answer, never go into a bank or an investor without having done this kind of stress testing yourself, because you can be sure they're going to stress test it in front of you. And it's like Dragon's Den, you're sitting in Dragon's Den, and the guys are sending all these questions at you. And if you start, you know, boo, 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 I don't know the answer to that, you've just lost all credibility, and you're just not going to get the deal. You've got to be confident, and you've got to be a person who's clearly knows your topic and that if anyone says what about this what about the zoning what about the planning um what if the legal title is you know all of that you've checked it you know it everything is there um so that is the point that you've done all of this kind of stuff yourself now if the deal stacks up yes you are now confident that this deal stacks up and not only that, you are going to be in a position where you say, you know, not only that, I actually, I know I'm going to make a good profit on this deal. I want to go all in on this deal. And I'm very um, excited about it, confident about it. That's the best way to approach it. You go into a bank confident, they are going to know straight away, this is a good deal. If you go into an investor in the same way, is don't think that if you're, if you're, if you're going into any kind of meeting with those guys, unsure of yourself, why would they invest in that deal? Like you're already uncertain yourself. Why would they put money into that deal? Just remember that. So this is why it's important to do all of this preparation work in advance. So if you're buying a small property for your first deal, you know, this might seem, seem like a huge amount of overkill. But when you're going to do your first property, you're probably not going to be getting investors involved and you're probably just going to be getting a mortgage or something like that. I'm, slight, I'm bringing you slightly further down the road to a point where you are thinking about buying, say, a commercial deal or you're doing a development or something. And this is where you start need to, needing to go into this kind of analysis and you need to be quite rigorous in your testing because you will get peppered with questions like it's Dragon's Den by investors. And if you're not coming across as knowledgeable on your topic or confident, then you don't really stand a chance to convince them. Anyway, we'll go into some more of the details here. On the banking side, now you've done your analysis, you're going to go and you're going to go and um, you've got your total development costs. You need this figure because now you need to figure out how much of a bank loan are you going to be getting? Because if you're, let's say your total development cost is a million and you're going to sort of say, okay, I, the total development cost all in is a million. We need to have a million 
dollars, euro, pounds, whatever it is, we need to have that at the very outset in order to make this deal work. So you are going to, and you say you only have 100,000 yourself. Well, banks are only going to lend between 50 and 70% of the total value that you need. So you are probably, let's say it's 70% of a million. That is 700,000. So the most you can hope to get from a bank in terms of senior debt, and senior debt means that the bank but you know have a mortgage on the property, and if anything goes wrong, they step in and they basically control the property completely. And so they get their 700,000 back, that's fine. You get whatever is left of that. You don't get um, you don't get your original investment if it's dropped or whatever. So 700,000 and you've got 100,000. So you are short 200 grand. So you now need to figure out how you're going to make up that 200 grand. And this is where I've talked about, you know, how do you bridge that? That's not so difficult when you've got, um, say, partners or investors. To bridge that 200,000, you're, you're going to get your, your million deal all in. You've got 700,000 of a loan coming from the bank. Uh, you need 300 grand of equity. And you have 100,000 yourself, so you need 200,000 coming from some other source. And you need to figure out how you're going to do that. And that is where you try, you, you can either talk to an investor or you can talk to partners or you can talk to mezzanine providers. Now, I'll get into that. That's a little bit more advanced stuff, but let's start with partners. With partners, you have got a situation where, say it's two buddies that you went to college with or something like that. That is probably the best partners because it's kind of informal and you know each other, you trust each other. And if each of you is coming to the deal with the same amount of money, that would be, say, a three-way partnership. So each of you has 100,000. Each of you goes in a third, a third, a third, and that's it, the deal. Now, you might agree if one of you is driving the project and is like the project manager, maybe there's a, uh, you know, an argument for you getting a couple of extra uh, quit out of the deal for your time or whatever, but that's something that you just need to think about depending on your circumstances. Next is investors. Now, 200,000 from investors is not in any way as simple as your partnership deal because there's going to be legal agreements and there's going to be all sorts of terms and conditions and stuff. Um, investors are also looking for the IRR that we mentioned at the beginning and the return on investment. And that's based on the amount of cash that they put in. So, Investors have a minimum IRR or, or often, and that can be, say, 8% or 20%. 8% to 20% is kind of the ballpark. And they'll also sometimes consider putting it in as half a loan, half equity. So where that could be useful for you is that, say you've got, you, you've got to come up with this 300 grand to, to match the bank's 700 grand. If 100,000 of that is yours, and you've got a, an investor, he might say, all right, I'll put 100,000 equity into the deal and I'll put 100,000 loan into the deal. And what that means is that he is now 50-50 with you. He's risking 100,000 to your 100,000, but he's also lending 100,000 into the deal and he'll have like a second charge and he will get interest on that 100,000. Um, but it doesn't contribute to him sharing in the 50-50 at the end of the deal. Now, but he does get his 100,000 back plus whatever interest that has accumulated. And usually it's a greater amount of interest than the bank will be charging you. The next thing is in order to bridge that gap, you have got mezzanine finance providers. And those are really expensive things, but it allows you to control the deal. And by that, I mean, 
say you got this, you got their million deal and say it's a, it's a deal that's going to do an enormous amount of money and it's going to like say double your money and you're going to make a million out of this. If you're going to make a million out of this deal and you're very confident about that, then you don't want to have a situation where you're split, you're only getting a third of that profit or 50% of that profit with an investor. You can go to a MES finance provider and say to him, right, I need, I need 300 grand. I've got 100 of my own. I want to borrow 200 from you. And that guy, uh, now depending on the deal stack and everything like that, how it looks, he's going to lend you that money as a second charge against the bank. Now it's big risk because if it doesn't work out, the bank takes 700 grand back and then he only gets back his 200 if the deal is worth 900,000 or more. And so he'll get it. Now, usually these guys charge a huge amount of interest. I've, I've paid, I think, 15% interest to a MES provider. And, um, but I have seen them up to like 18 and 22%. It depends on where in the market and how difficult it is to, get, to raise capital. Back in 2014 and stuff, I was looking at deals all over the place and the banks were not lending much money. So MES finance providers had the market to themselves and they could lend you uh, you know, at 25% and things like that. So it was very expensive form of, um, of equity. Um, but the good thing is, is that if you made a million after your costs to the MES provider and after paying the interest and all that, it was 100% your profit. So you didn't have to share it with anyone. So that is the reason why you do that. But you've got to be careful because those things, the longer the deal lasts, the longer it stretches for, the more expensive it gets. And MES finance is usually good when it's a short in and out deal and you're going to get him paid back quickly the longer mes finance provider is in there this the more expensive it gets because that is clocking up constantly so once you have an idea of the way you want to go you can start to prepare an investment memorandum and this is a document that explains the whole deal and uh, i'll go into how that's done but you have to become quite good at juggling in this game because what you're going to be doing is You've been talking to investors, you've had those conversations with those guys, but simultaneously, you're also having conversations with the banks because you need to know the terms that the banks are. You can't go to the investors and say, right, I need 300 grand. If it turns out that the bank are not going to give you 70%, if the bank are only going to give you 60%, then you need 400 grand. So you need to know, you need to be running these two conversations parallel. And obviously you don't commit to anyone. You say, look, we're in the early stages of this deal. And uh, can you just, you know, let's talk it through how you would approach the deal. And those guys will, if they like the sound of the deal, they say, yeah, we're interested. Tell us more. And so you go off to your banks. Now, the banks will have all sorts of criteria and those guys will expect to have, uh, well, they'll have a credit report that they'll do for in a credit committee. And they'll be looking at all sorts of things like the amount of interest cover, the value of the property, how it stacks against the, the value of the upside and you have to build all of this stuff into your model. And so when you go, you actually go back to your original figures that you were working on and you start to insert these new numbers that you've gotten from the bank back into it. So that might adjust everything slightly or it might be pretty much, if, you, if you've done this before, you've probably guessed well and the deal might be exactly pretty much in line with what you expected. But if you're new to it, you might have assumed, say, a, a, an interest rate that's actually lower than you're getting. And so you have to readjust your figures and start looking at it again. Um, then you're going to need, they're also going to want to know, is this, is this, are you, are you going to be able to feed the, the interest as it's coming every month or every quarter, or do you want that to be rolled up? All of this stuff needs to be part of your report that you're going to go to the bank. You don't go to any bank or investor 
just with a story to tell. You've got to have like a pretty detailed document that you've worked on and you've done that document. You've added in all of the information that you, you know, you'll have photographs, you'll have, uh, you know, plans, you'll have the, the analysis, the financial analysis, you have all of that stuff. And this is what the banks go off and they're confident when they see, OK, the, this deal definitely stacks between you know, the, the costs and the out, out, you know, the profit at the far end, it's, it, this, this is very comfortable and therefore it's a safe deal to be betting on this and that's going to happen. So eventually you'll find, you'll bottom out your finance costs. You will get probably some sort of a letter from the banks offering terms. And it's only when you have that, that you can actually start to complete the conversation with the investors, because until you have a commitment from the bank to lend you that money, you don't actually have the money there. And so you can't be going to investors saying, give me money because you haven't got your loan yet. So they're going to, the, the investors more than likely are going to want to see the terms that you have actually got from the bank as well. So that's why it's very important that you have that as well. Now, working with investors like requires a podcast of its own, a whole you know workshop because there's all sorts of stuff around legal documentation, communications and all that. So I'm not going to get into all of that, but I'm just going to round, uh, round out this conversation by telling you that, you know, your, your document should be very professional looking, you know, have it bound if you can, make it look like, you know, you're, you're a professional outfit. You've, you've typed up your original thesis, then you explain the deal, then you go through, you show photographs of the deal. You might have the architect might show before and after all of this. You're basically telling a story. The deal is here and when it's finished, it's going to look like this. And your profit is going to be this after you've spent so much money. So you've explained from start to finish. You'll also have a section on the risks. And so you're going to look at the, the, the five or eight risks that I've talked about, you know, market risk. You have to have a little commentary on that sort of saying we've anal we've analyzed the market. We believe, you know, the timing is right that this we've got three to five years until there's a downturn, blah, blah, blah. All of this stuff just helps demonstrate that you've actually give the, given this serious thought, rigorously analyzed it, and the banks and the investors will be confident. So that's pretty much it. You're going to get a term sheet from the bank, and then you're going to get indications of commitments from solicitors, from investors. And then when you get to that point, you start getting into the serious stuff where it starts to cost money at this stage because you're hiring a solicitor to draw up investment agreements. You're, 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 you're going to be asking your investors to put money into an escrow account. And so if you've got a good lawyer or solicitor with an escrow account, your solicitor, your, your guy will basically hold money from the investors. One of the mistakes I've made in the past is believing investors when they say, yep, I'll back you. I'll put, say, 300 grand into the deal. And you're there saying, OK, we've got the 300 grand. And then after you've done all of the work, the money doesn't come because the guy has either bought something else or he's changed his mind or the market has moved. So you do need a commitment and that is important. So the escrow account means that the money goes in there and provided you fulfill your end of the deal and like you get your loan and you do all of the stuff that you said you're going to do, his money is locked in and you're confident you can kind of bid on the property or, or do whatever. So that's pretty much it. You've got to deliver the deal then. And so... Um, I don't know. Did you guys find this useful? You might just let me know in the uh, comments or whatever, whether there's anything that I've missed out and that you'd like me to cover up. But if I was to start talking about investors now um, getting into investment, it, it would go on for another hour. And the reality is that this um, 
I mean, I have raised probably the biggest loan that I personally raised was 30 million from the Royal Bank of Scotland. And that was a I mean, that was a very difficult deal. I had gone to maybe seven or eight banks. And by the time um, I got two offers, one was absolutely derisory. It was it was so bad, like it was, I just tore the thing up. But then these guys, they offered what looked like a good deal to me. And so that allowed me to put that into my documentation, which went off to the investors and then the investors backed the deal. And so um, that's it. If you guys would like to participate in that Zoom workshop that I'm going to do on investors and analyzing deal and yields and all that kind of stuff, please sign up to my email list that is going to be found if you go into gavinjgallagher.com and then forward slash go it'll bring you in and it'll show you exactly what it is um you know the the email list is there you sign up to it and then i will be issuing an email out to you guys sort of saying right here's the uh, sign up for the zoom call please um, add your names and then we'll start getting into it that is it for episode 11 of behind the facade Thank you so much for listening. If you found this podcast uh, or this episode useful, please consider sharing it out to a friend and leave a review for me on whatever platform you're listening in on. If you have any questions or topics uh, that you'd like me covering in future episodes, please leave a comment on our Facebook page, Behind the Facade. If you're there, um, while you're there, please leave a comment just telling me where in the world you're listening in from. I've been getting some great comments from people like in Kuwait and uh, Johannesburg and stuff. So it's just, it really is interesting to find out where you guys are listening in from. And if you want to participate in live Q&A episodes that I do, join the Facebook group Behind the Facade community and uh, where uh, I'm pretty active. I'm doing live videos. And then shortly, I'm going to be doing a live video. After this call, I'm going to be doing a live video going over to check out the finished office that we've just completed um, to show the, the Facebook group. And um, that is it, guys. Lastly, my YouTube channel. If you have missed any of my lives, everything gets uploaded to the YouTube channel. That is PropTech TV. And um, it's it's going to be probably another day or two before I get around to uploading this today's episode. But the last couple of days, I'm going to be doing that today. So you guys can catch all of that over on PropTech TV, one word, YouTube. See you guys and talk to you next week.